Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have a question for you. Yes. Who was the first politician you remember feeling genuinely angry at? And do you remember why? Um, I remember feeling genuinely angry at Newt Gingrich. And it was around the contract for America. I had just gotten to college. And I mean, there are other people who I'm sure I was, you know, displeased with. But I remember feeling really angry about what he was trying to do, which was, you know, make America like Newt Gingrich, uh, which is terrible. So he was the first one. What about you? Oh, man. You know what? If we could, like, weaponize smarm, (laughs) Newt Gingrich would be our number one source of, like, power and military might because that guy is so fucking smarmy. Um, (laughs) So I I started my anger journey with politicians, I think, when I was pretty young because I remember being mad at Ronald Reagan. That's (laughs) awesome. I remember being, like, very mad at Ronald Reagan because my mom was mad at Ronald Reagan. And I think it was because something like the cartoons on TV were bad because Ronald Reagan made it so they didn't have to be educational, she told me. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I I don't even know if that has any basis in reality, but I'm going to hang on to that memory because it's kind of a fun one to revisit. (laughs) That is, of all the reasons to hate Ronald Reagan. (laughs) He ruined kids' TV. You know? No. Fuck that guy. (laughs) He did. He ruined America. He was the worst. All right. Let's get to the show. This week, we are joined by Texas Representative Nicole Collier, Kieran Deal, and Megan Gailey to tackle the following questions. Why is June already such a frustrating news month? Is there hope for Texas after all? What does it mean to call somebody a girl boss? And who are our favorite weird old guys to follow on social media? All this and more right now. Okay, welcome to the show. Alyssa, last week we discussed how we anticipated that June would be an annoying month. 
it's living up to its living up to its promise. Yeah, so far it's really delivered. So let's dive into the news frustration first because we knew that it would be annoying. It is annoying. That doesn't change the fact that it's annoying and we are experiencing frustration. So, Alyssa, what about this last week of news have you found so frustrating and annoying? Well, Aaron, where to begin? Uh, well, I think Joe Manchin's pretty annoying. Um, I think that the issue, I mean, here's the thing, Aaron, I guess in a nutshell, this is what is so annoying all around 360, is that when the United States Senate had to vote on voting rights legislation uh, under President Bush, it passed 98 to zero. And I just want to know what the fuck has happened since then, aside from a party, which is currently incapable of identifying what was a fucking insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. And since these are the people we're negotiating with, I guess my big question is, Joe Manchin, why do you think this is on the level? It's not on the level. No one's ever going to agree. There's not going to be anything bipartisan. Like, Aaron, it's exhausting. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I don't know if Joe Manchin actually thinks that it's on the level. And and like, or if he's just trying to drag his feet so he doesn't actually have to do anything. Because that's something that I suspect when it comes to like a lot of self-identified moderates or people that are horny for bipartisanship. Um, I think they don't actually want to do anything because they know bipartisanship is like an impossible dream. You know? It's it's not going to happen right now. It's not going to happen. And right. And I think that we have a limited, and by we, I mean Democrats, have a limited amount of time to get things done, right? Mm -hmm. Just fucking ram that shit through before there's a midterm and God knows what happens. Mm -hmm. And we know, we know that Republicans would not be frittering this moment if she was on the other foot. And they haven't in the past frittered moments when Mm -hmm. they have had the chance to ram through bad shit. So I guess I wish that we could just kind of get with what's happening here, Joe Manchin, and, you know, get some good stuff done. Help people. Yeah. It's, but the crazy thing is it's not like people in his state won't be helped by, like, so many of these bills which are just dithering right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, in the discussion of Joe Manchin and his desire to preserve the filibuster for question mark, question mark, question mark reasons and his <laughs> desire to seek out bipartisan compromise for question mark reasons, um, which to me kind of reads like if I were walking down the street by myself and somebody came up to me with a knife and they're like, I'm going to stab you. And I was like, don't stab me. And then somebody showed up, Joe Manchin showed up and they're like, well, can they just kind of stab you a little? <laughs> you, like, that's how I feel the Republican Party's, uh, party is to America right now. No, you can't fucking stab us a little. You're not going to, no stabbing. I don't know. No wanna- stabbing. And you know what's really wild is that as you go through and you read all of these interviews and see these interviews that Joe Manchin's doing, I feel like Chris Wallace is kind of on our side. Yeah. He's like, Joe, Senator Manchin, if you were to keep the idea that maybe you would vote to kill the filibuster, wouldn't that give Republicans an incentive to actually negotiate? By taking it off the table, haven't you empowered Republicans to be obstructionist? Yes. Yes. Chris mm-hmm. Wallace is like, help me help you. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing the thing is that, like, I think a lot of problems with political coverage is that it's top down instead of bottom up. So we're talking about, like, all of these 
wealthy old people totally insulated from the consequences of their actions having slap fights on Capitol Hill and angling for book deals and Fox News contracts when really what we should be talking about is who are the people that are not being served by their inaction? Like what is on the table? Like what in the infrastructure bill, there are provisions that are designed specifically to make life easier for let's, let's just pick out the, the care piece of that for parents and for care providers. And that is an urgent need for millions of people in this country and has been an urgent need for decades. And it's just getting worse. The longer nothing gets done, the worse it is for the people who either provide care or who are responsible for finding care for people who are dependent on them. And like, that's, that's, that is the consequence here, not Manchin's political career. Right. And also not for nothing, but in the in the care pieces of this, it's not like we're trying to catapult America to the number one spot in the world as like progressive caretaking economy. Mm-hmm. We're last in the world. Like we offer social, like we offer fewer social safety nets than almost any country you can name. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's the, you know, as the Republicans are like socialism, socialism, it's like actually just the rest of the entire fucking world. Mm-hmm. Right. And other problems that Republicans have been freaking out about that re- that I don't think the mainstream media has connected the dots enough on is that the infrastructure bill has provisions in it that would theoretically make it more attractive for people to have families or possible for people to have families. Um, Over the last month, Republicans have been freaking out about the birth rate falling. Um, Meanwhile, they're trying to restrict immigration, which would increase the number of workers providing a tax base. In the meantime, they're trying to make life more difficult for parents. Uh, many, Many people are having fewer children than they want because of systemic problems in place. Like, I don't think we should try to like goose the birth rate by forcing people to have kids or convincing people to have kids. I'm talking about people who already want to have children or who want to have more children, but who are deciding not to because of systemic uh, obstacles in place for that. So like $225 billion for childcare in Biden's proposed infrastructure plan, that would probably fucking help, you know? That, that would, would probably that would, help. That would, $200 billion for free universal preschool would probably help. Probably help. You know, there's there's $109 billion in there for two years of free community college, uh, which f- fits into the education piece. That would help young people get started. Like, how how many people do you know were, like, completely hamstrung by student loan payments that they were still making into their 30s and approaching their 40s? Like, I just finished paying mine off a couple years ago, and that was only because after I turned 30, I started making more money, so I was able to, like, race to the end. But if I hadn't had, like, a couple good breaks and gotten a couple good jobs, I would still be paying them off. And still be paying interest. (laughs) I would still be paying interest, which benefits nobody but financial institutions. Um, So I think like, you know, we can bitch about Joe Manchin being an annoying person who seems to be not that intelligent because he is dumb and he doesn't seem like he's a very smart man. And it's gross that one guy from West Virginia can hold this up. But like, let's not lose sight of what is being held up. It's this. Right. Are you somebody who could benefit from universal preschool, free universal preschool? Do you know somebody who could? 
Like, do you know somebody who provides childcare who could who could benefit from uh from uh, from aid to make their wages more livable? Like paid family and medical leave. Do you know anyone who could use that? Hmm. Do you know? I, I like I, everyone. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> everyone think Everyone could use that. Literally, everyone could use that. Um, nutrition programs. I know a lot of people who could use that. You know, it's it's like that is what Joe Manchin is standing in between. He's standing in between us being an embarrassment in the rest of the world when it comes to the way we treat caretakers, and us being passable. He's passable. St- that's it. We're aiming for passable right now. We're aiming. It is like the lowest possible bar, and Joe Manchin refuses to clear it because he believes in institutions. Um, I'm sorry. Mm. Like, the institutions are why we're here. Fuck them. (laughs) You know? Fuck them. Fuck them. Here's some other things that Joe Manchin and— uh, institutional reverence are blocking because um, the filibuster still exists. The For the People Act, uh, yep. which we touched on, a $15 minimum wage, D.C. statehood, immigration reform, gun violence reform, LGBTQ protection. Uh, happy Pride, by the way. The, happy uh, J- Pride. Joe Manchin is 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 why we can't have the Equality Act. Uh, labor rights, policing, and women's rights. But, and also, Erin, to reinforce the point you made earlier, it is not as if Joe Manchin is saying this is bad for the people of my state. You know what I mean? Like, I get that. I do. If he was like, this is this is all bad for West Virginia, and therefore I can't support it. He's literally doing it for the filibuster. <laughs> for a vestige of that institution that most Americans couldn't explain to you if they had to. Yeah. And And that's not a knock on Americans. It's because it's so stupid. It is extreme. Like, I don't expect people to know the workplace policies of like, you know, it's a, it's a dumbass Senate workplace policy. And like, it's, it's holding all of this stuff hostage. And it, it just, oh, oh my God. Alyssa, I've gotten to the point where I can't even... Like, I've gotten to a George W. Bush point with Mitch McConnell's voice. And by that, I mean, when George W. Bush was the president, when I would hear his voice on NPR, I would have to turn it off because I couldn't listen to it. Um, I got to the Donald that point with Donald Trump's voice pretty early, too. But I'm, I have arrived at the point where I'm like, I can't listen to your fucking voice. Yeah, fucking mute yourself. I just, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what is, I, I mean, it is going to be an annoying June like, is there a possible, is there a possible long game that Democrats are playing? Is there a possible good outcome to all this? If there is, they should clue us in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, even have just a talker's call. You know what I mean? Like, do something. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard anything good. Um, I also want to talk about another, like, weird institutional protectionism thing. Because, look, I, when Joe Biden was first elected president— I was very happy that Donald Trump would no longer be the president. At the same time, I fully expected that because Joe Biden is pretty to the right of me politically, that I would spend a lot of the Biden administration being frustrated with the fact that he wasn't meeting the needs of the progressives that elected him. I was pleasantly surprised by the first few months of his 
administration by the people that he chose to surround himself with and by some policy priorities and the COVID relief package I thought was really impressive. His response to the pandemic has been pretty good. Uh, I think now I'm done with the honeymoon phase or I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm starting to get kind of frustrated. I, I don't think that the bipartisan thing is working or possible, nor should we even try for it. Um, and I also, this, this was the news story that kind of made, put me into like, fuck it territory. On Monday, Biden's Justice Department, led by Merrick Garland, um, basically adopted President, former President Trump's position on E.G. Carroll or E.G. Carroll's defamation lawsuit against Trump. So basically, the Justice Department was going to defend, uh, com- continue to defend President, former President Trump against this defamation lawsuit. And the Biden administration was like, we didn't know, you know, the, the White House was like, we didn't know about this. We're distancing ourselves. So fucking stop it. It's. It's one of those things where you and I were texting about it. And I was like, wait a minute. Am I having a reading comprehension issue? Like, do I have to get the pen and the ruler out and go line by line because I'm misunderstanding what's happening? But we were not misunderstanding what's happening. And I will say it is uh, highly uh, confusing. Yeah, it's sort of is like, it's like, okay, if the government is a body and the White House is the brain, the Justice Department would be like the hand. Why can't you control your own hand? Like, I mean, it's like, it's this whole thing where like, you know, it's, a da- you know, I'm not going to say damned if you do damned if you don't, though I just said it. It's like, on the one hand, Trump was controlling everything and we were like, that's terrible. And that is terrible. Now, I feel like we've overcorrected potentially mm-hmm. <laughs> into a place where, it's like, nope, they're going to do what they're going to do. And it's like, no, I really think we don't have to take up Trump's fight on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like defending uh, the guy who is currently pretending that he's still the president and pretending that he will be reinstated with a non-existent clause in August. Like, I feel like it's OK to say, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy hasn't really earned it. He hasn't earned anything. The Um, guy who couldn't control himself enough to come to your inauguration. (laughs) Yeah. He can pay for his own lawyers, I think. Yeah, I agree. That's enough. Um, Okay, so it was a frustrating week, but there was a bright spot. And Alyssa, you had a nominee for Toast this week. I would love for you to take it away. We are going to toast the best of Monaco's. Lisa Monaco, Deputy (laughs) Attorney General, who this week when I was eating dinner, I got to see her on television saying that the literally they went after the um, oh, my God, they went after the the ransomware assholes who got the ransom from Colonial Pipeline and they fucking got the money back. DOJ got the money back. Yeah. I mean, what? I it's like is this an FX special that's coming up next? I couldn't believe it. I was so excited for her and just like watching her stand up there and like wait, I want to find the quote that she said because it was so This is like what I heard her saying on television and I did like a record scratch head tilt. 
Today, quote, today we turned the tables on dark side after Colonial Pipeline's quick notification to law enforcement and pursuant to a seizure warrant issued by the United States District Court for the Northern District of California earlier today, the Department of Justice has found and recaptured the majority of the ransom Colonial paid to the dark side network in the wake of last month's ransomware attack. Thank you, Lisa Monaco, the best mm-hmm. Monaco. That was that was good good work by Lisa Monaco for sure. Um, I uh, I was thinking we've had a pretty banner week when it comes to like tech and crime stopping, um, like me- large scale tech and crime st- stopping. Yeah. I'm not talking like bullshit like like traffic no, like stuff. paper level. Yes, Steven Spielberg, Ron Howard executed shit. exactly like oceans. 500 or something like that. Like that. Did you hear about squared? Exactly. The, the FBI and in, in cooperation with a couple other law enforcement agencies, 800 arrests, 800 arrests in like a massive, like drug smuggling sting. sting. So good. They made, they made a fake messaging app. And they all fell for it. And they all fell for it. Um, now that would be a really good tech thriller for whoever is able to write it, because all of these criminals thought that they were using an encrypted messaging system, but it was really a plant by like an informant. It it's was so never, good. they were just messaging the FBI. Like the uh, do whole you, time. Do you have the giant tubs of fruit disguising drugs? Yep. I've got it. I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know how they would message each other, but yep. The <laughs> bananas and cocaine are on their way. Cool. <laughs> I'll go pick it up from the, the port city. Uh, like it's, it was crazy. It was all going to the FBI. Look, that's great. That's cool. That was great. That I was look, something it's to cool. really celebrate. It's cool. And Lisa Monaco's work in in somehow seizing most of the ransom back from a hacker network. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we have an interview with somebody who's on the ground in Texas working to help unfuck that state. And welcome back. Really excited for our interview today. Alyssa, I wonder if you saw this on the New York Times website. Did you see that tool where you can type in your zip code and it tells you? I did. Okay. How did your zip code vote in 2020? Uh, We were plus 75 for Biden. You were plus 75 for Biden. Yeah. Just my zip code, though, not my county. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was curious. I love like maps and I love looking at numbers. The county where I was born was like plus 27 for Trump. Mm. But the last three places where I've lived for a long time were at least plus 33 for Biden. And it made me think, I have really spent my adult life in the bluest of the blue parts of this country. And there are people who are not in blue parts of this country who are still working their butts off, busting their asses, and working to be heard in places where it's not easy. And one of those places is Texas. Um, And one of the people who is absolutely busting their ass is our guest today, Representative Nicole Collier. Uh, Representative Collier is an attorney, a mother, and a grandmother, and she's currently a Texas state representative serving District 95. A few weeks ago, she and her Democratic colleagues walked out of a vote, which stalled the passage of a Republican-sponsored restrictive voting bill. Welcome, Representative Collier. Welcome to the blue areas from an area that's a little bit purple. 
Thank you so much. I feel at home with you guys in the blue. <laughs> I know it's it's nice. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on in Texas and all the work you guys are doing because it's really important that I think people all over the country are made aware of it. Texas has been in the news a lot recently for some alarming reasons, from voting rights bills to the new abortion law. And all of that has uh, thrown a line to Republicans who are looking to exercise control wherever they can. With Republicans trying to make laws left and right to restrict voting access, what are they so scared of? What are they scared of in Texas? And what do you think they're scared of nationally? Well, I I suspect they're scared of Texas turning blue. I completely agree. This is uh, SB7, which was the election bill that that the Republicans filed is basically what they say is an attempt to prevent fraud, even though we don't have widespread fraud in Texas. Uh, Our general elections in the 2020 was overseen by a Republican-appointed official, our Secretary of State, and uh, she said that the elections were safe, secure, and successful. So I'm not sure what they're trying to uh, address other than the fact that they're afraid of losing power. You and your fellow Democrats walked out of a vote that would have imposed very harsh restrictions on voting rights in the states affecting especially people of color. Can you talk to us about the GOP's voting bill and why it's so dangerous? Can you take us through the moment you left the chamber? How did it feel? Well, you know what? It was, uh, you know, as a legislator, you try to work with your colleagues. You try to come up with measures that can be agreeable or a compromise for both sides. But that didn't happen with SB7. We uh, were shut out of the process, basically, of crafting the bill, amending the bill, and then, you know, basically sounding in on the bill when it came to the floor. So we uh, tried to amend the bill. We sent the bill. We had amendments on it. It went to the Senate. It came back totally different. In fact, it was 30 plus pages longer than when it left our chamber. And there were so many provisions in there that we never even vetted. There was no public opportunity to uh, discuss these measures that were in the new one. So there is a procedural rule in the Texas legislature called calling the question. So if they get 25 signatures, they can end debate on the bill and take it up for a vote. Democrats are outnumbered. There's 67 Democrats in the Texas legislature uh, in the House chamber. Uh, We're outnumbered. We don't have enough votes on our own to pass a bill, but we do have enough votes to break quorum. So when we realized that the writing was on the wall, that they were going to end debate and prevent us from asking questions to establish legislative intent on the bill, which would help our lawsuit in the future, Uh, We took it upon ourselves to use the nuclear option. We used every tool in our toolbox up until then, and we used that last tool, and we decided that we had to walk out in order to protect the fair and free elections for all Texans. How did you feel? Was it kind of exhilarating? Was it, were you scared? Like, what did that feel like? So I'm uh, supposedly in leadership is what they call it. When you have a chair position, I'm a chair of a committee. And uh, you know what? That was the last thing from my mind because I knew that all was on the line uh, at that point. So whether I had a leadership position or not, I was going to make that walk out of the chamber 
to make sure that the voting rights of all Texans were protected. So I, I really didn't think about it like that mm-hmm. uh, at the moment. But afterwards, I was like, whoa, look what we just did. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just have to go ahead with things that are kind of scary and then get scared afterwards once it's already, <laughs> once it's already done. Okay. Um, so now that the bill is stalled, uh, Governor Abbott has vowed to eventually bring this to a vote. How do you and your fellow Democrats plan to keep pressure on? Well, that's a good question, because I don't know if we could stop it because we again, we don't have the votes, but we can keep the pressure on by letting the public know our constituents know that this bill does not protect the integrity of the ballot. It just makes it harder for people to vote. So that's what we're going to continue to do is spread the word, spread the message, and then also continue to press Congress to pass the For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. You know, that's the only way we're going to get protections in Texas since we don't have a majority is if we have some type of oversight from the federal government. And and under the Biden administration, that's our best chance. But we need Senate to end that filibuster. So, you know, keeping pressure on Congress and then also continuing to uh, let our constituents know that this bill is not in their best interest. It's really the Republican Party pandering to a small part of their base. Uh, to appease them. So that, that's basically where we're, we're, we're going with this. Mm-hmm. How important is it for the U.S. Senate to pass H.R. 1, the For the People Act, or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act? It's so important because let me tell you, SB 7 was bad as it is. In SB 7, we, uh, we saw them eliminate morning voting for early voting on Sundays. And traditionally, that's when Many black churches have souls to the polls where you leave church and you go directly to the polls by eliminating that morning voting opportunity. It loses the momentum that is gained by doing that activity. Also, Harris County in Texas, their county elections administrator was so innovative. They really worked hard to get out the vote. They proactively sent out mail in ballots to those registered voters, and they offered drive-through voting and um, 24-hour voting, and they saw record numbers of voters participate. Now, that's what we're talking about moving in the right directions. And when our Secretary of State said that those elections were safe, secure, and successful, that tells me that those opportunities can be done. But this bill, SB 7, would eliminate that opportunity and say that you can only vote in a structure. In fact, they were so specific that they said it had to be a stable structure that was permanent. But then they forgot that their Republican Party and some rural areas votes, they vote in trailers. So then they put in an exception for trailers. <laughs> so, you know, they try to work it out for themselves, but <sighs> literally uh, they put in provisions that were targeted at minority people of color voters. And one of the other provisions made it harder to do a mail-in ballot. So right now they have two envelopes that people have to fill out. Uh, You have to sign on the inside of the envelope, but then they were going to add a provision that said on the outside envelope on the inside, you had to put the last four digits of your social security number or driver's license or indicate that you didn't have one. The problem with that, other than the fact that it's more bureaucratic crap, is that if somebody makes a mistake and doesn't do that, then their ballot is not counted. There was no cure opportunity provided to them. And so that was just another way to discount 
or disregard the vote of people. And so, you know, this can only get worse. We knew that going in. We knew that there is an opportunity for this bill to become worse when the governor calls us back for a special session. Uh, we expect that there'll be cameras in the polling location. You know, they already in that bill had poll watchers, partisan poll watchers that were not trained. And then I can see them coming back to say that those untrained poll watchers could also videotape people in the polling location. So, uh, you know, we suspect that it's going to come back. And Texas already has voting laws that are the most strict in all of the nation. We have the strictest voting laws. And to add these provisions on top just really uh, is uh, absurd. In fact, you know, they say everything is bigger in Texas. Well, I imagine that Texas is the biggest violator of the U.S. Constitution as well. Because uh, we also passed, and not me, because I didn't vote for that, was that fetal heartbeat bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on that note, um, Texas has been getting a lot of negative attention for that bill, and you know, in our in our opinion, rightfully so. But there have been kind of glimmers of hope and positivity, like um, high school senior Paxton Smith delivering that speech that went viral um, against the heartbeat bill. And you know, there's other positive things happening in Texas. So I would love to hear from you. What is something that's really positive that's flying under the radar that's happening in Texas? And um, how are you working to give your constituents who agree with you on progressive issues some hope that there is a path forward for them in your state? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so for the first part, uh, Paxton was so courageous. I admire her ability to just speak out and, and speak up for all women. Uh, Just love that. That's a great thing about Texas. Simone Biles is a great thing about Texas. (laughs) Um, But in terms of uh, what else did we do? Well, I'm not sure if we can say we did a lot because our infrastructure, our power grid has been failing. And we did not do as much as we could to shore up and strengthen that power grid. But we did take some small steps. And we didn't expand Medicaid, which would really address the fact that Texas has the highest rate of uninsured Texans. We could have done better. But one thing that we did do was uh, for new parents, new mothers, for them to apply for Medicaid. So right now they have to apply every three months. And so what they did was they reinstated the original application, which was several years ago because they took it away and it went back to six months. So that's a slight win, but it's Mm -hmm. not a total win because we really wanted it to be every year. So, you know, in terms of what my constituents can look forward to, you know, I'm going to continue to uh, be their voice and speak out against those measures that would harm our community, like permitless carry. That's another one that passed that is not helpful. So it's another one that Texas is getting that attention for, uh, for being the most, doing the most extreme. Uh, But I'd like to say that I will keep pushing uh, to ensure that uh, their voices are heard and given the opportunity to have those small victories until we can take over and turn Texas blue. Mm -hmm. Um, And on that note, when do you think that's going to happen? When (laughs) when does Texas when does Texas turn blue from where you're sitting? Well, we were hoping last uh, last election cycle, but I think we've got um, maybe one or two more cycles before we can truly turn blue. But I'll tell you this, it's going to be even harder because this is a redistricting year and there's a Mm -hmm. bunch of Republicans who are in charge of drawing our maps. So I envision them drawing maps, gerrymandering 
so that they pick up more seats and the Democrats lose them. So that's going to be another battle that we're going to have this fall in a special session. Uh, but, you know, hopefully I'm going to be optimistic and say maybe one or two more election cycles. Uh, but that's very optimistic. Mm-hmm. Well, we would love to see it. And it's lovely to talk to you, Representative Collier. Thank you so much for joining us. And keep doing the work you're doing in Texas. It's very appreciated. Thank you. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. (laughs) <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ bar's ultimate sampler pack. That's seven IQ bars, four IQ mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. We have reached the part of the show where we're joined by some other people uh, to have a conversation about something that we're finding interesting. Um, So today we're going to talk about the word girl boss. Um, Girl boss, which is a word that has a little bit of a history and um, that that I want to kind of like run through before we get really into it. But before we do that, I want to bring in our other two panelists. First up, she is a comedian and writer, and you guys don't know which one of you I'm going to introduce because <laughs> it's both of you. And she has red hair. It's Megan Gailey. 
Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh, I was accused of having not red hair anymore by a close friend who's a redhead. And I had to take a picture of where I'm the <laughs> reddest and send it to him. This is a hetero male married friend texting me. Your hair's not red anymore. What's going okay. on? Okay. Hetero men don't get to tell us what color things are. <laughs> they just don't. Well, in, in the redheaded community, when we lose one, we get very territorial. <laughs> so I think he was having a little papa bear moment, you know? <laughs> would you ever, like, if you did start to lose your red, would you dye your hair redder again? Because it's going in next week, bitch. Oh. Going in next week. I said... Oh, my friend said I don't have red hair, and he's punched a lot of holes in his wall, so he's true Irish, right? <laughs> and so if he's saying I'm not red enough, I got to get a glaze on it. <laughs> well, glaze, I don't, that's not cheating. That's fine. No, that's, no, no, no. It's just like, um, you know, a glaze is like sun in. <laughs> Remember when we used to do that to our hair? It's like that. We did horrible <laughs> things to our hair and skin around yeah. Y2K. Yeah. Let's rub baby oil on. Our skin? What? And lay in the sun? No. Yeah. The white nonsense around Y2K was really nonsensical. I had like a heart-shaped sticker that oh, I would put on yes. my hip so I could tell the progress I was making in the tanning bed. Uh, same. Yeah. I had same thing. I had same thing. You had, yeah. the, you had a heart? Yeah, I did. They, they heart was for the classy girls. Salon. Heart was for the classy girls. Playboy Bunny was for the, the tr- not-so-classy girls. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Let's bring in our fourth panelist. She is not someone who has spent Y2K laying in a tanning bed preparing for prom with a sticker on her hip bone. Kieran Deal. Hello, hello, hello. For all of you people who didn't do whatever they were just talking about out there. (laughs) Um, Welcome to both of you. You guys are part of the OG Hysteria crew. It's been almost three years. And you two, you three, all of us, we've all been there from the beginning. Oh, can I redo my photo shoot? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's like almost time because I have yes. I have bangs in those pictures. Which, yeah, we all look different now. Yeah, we've all aged thirty five years, mm, and yeah. not me. Thank you. So no, much. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, no. you look very youthful. I was saying that actually, I, and Thank I bet you. I haven't seen you for a while, so that's. I'm, but it could, you could have seen me and be like, oh, wow, the pandemic was rough on her. So this is, this is thrilling for me. <laughs> um, okay. So let's get into the concept of girl boss. And um, in order to get into it, we have to kind of tr- trace where the word came from and um, what it's evolved into. So the world, word girl boss uh, has experienced quite a journey in the last seven years. It was popularized because of a 2014 book written by Nasty Gal founder Sophia Amoroso, who um, I don't know if Nasty Gal is making clothes anymore, but they used to make, like, cool, badass, like, urban girl clothes. Like, I live in a city and I don't give a fuck. Like, those kind of clothes. Um, I majored in in comparative literature, and now I work in PR, and I don't give a fuck. Um, (laughs) The title had um, a hashtag before it, and— because in 2014, we were putting hashtags before things, like, unironically, um, which is another thing that hasn't aged that well. And full disclosure, um, I reviewed the book Girl Boss as part of this piece I wrote for the New York Times, and I really didn't like it. 
But I felt like when I was reviewing it, I shouldn't say mean things because I didn't want to be a bad feminist. So that's <laughs> uh, that's a whole other thing. So the Girl Boss brand took off beyond the book. Um, there was a company that had podcasts. There was a TV show that was made after the book, and it ran for a season. I think Kay Cannon did the TV show, um, who is, like, legit a great screenwriter. Um and after that, the word girl boss kind of decoupled from its original source and became a catch-all phrase for a particular type of successful woman, sort of like um, a woman who carries an expensive bag and has an expensive haircut who works at a corner office. Like, nobody would call Malala a girl boss, but people <laughs> would call Sheryl Sandberg a girl boss. It's, uh, it's, it's a definite kind of uh, look. And then as the Obama era closed, Trump era opened— the girl boss label kind of uh, fell out of favor. It went from being a sort of like cute self-anointed moniker to something that was like a catch-all phrase for corporate feminism. Um, There is a website called Reductress, which we all know and love, uh, that once poked fun at it by publishing an article with the headline, my husband is such a boy boss, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which is... Just Reductress is fantastic, but that's one of their greats. And um, since then, girl boss language has been co-opted by exploitative industries like multi-level marketing and kind of ridiculed as a neoliberal label. And now today, if somebody called me a girl boss on social media, I would be offended. Um, So, Kieran, I'm going to start with you. Are you or have you ever been a girl boss? I don't think so. Um, (laughs) Feels It feels like the answer is no. I have a lot of laundry sitting in my room, you know, haven't cleaned for a while. I feel like a, any version of the girl boss has a clean home, and I don't have that. Um, well, I'm curious, like, does, like, is Mindy Kaling, would Mindy Kaling count as a girl boss? Like, if you've just kicked ass and you're taking names, like, would Ava DuVernay count? I'm just thinking about people in entertainment. What about, you know, like Shonda Rhimes, do they count? as girl bosses. This was the question that I wanted to throw out to the team because I don't think about this very often. Mm -hmm. I think it's more about being a capitalist than being um, like a certain race or ethnicity. So like any, somebody from any race or ethnicity can be a quote unquote girl boss. It's all about like being successful. I picture her carrying like a fancy bag. I picture her um, being somebody who uh, yes, has a clean house. Um, Megan, what do you think of when you think of a, like a girl boss? Ooh, uh, I, I feel like I'm transported into, like, I'm about to do a corporate women's retreat (laughs) and they are giving my credits and then they say girl boss. And then I have to walk up and be like, oh no, this is not (laughs) like, I want, I don't think I ever knew that it was a good thing. I feel like once I heard about Girl Boss, people were already saying it ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the fact that we need a label, that reductress headline is so true. It's like, why we need a label for successful women just shows like how inherently fucked it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alyssa, I wonder if you have anything to add to that. Like the, (laughs) not necessarily, because I know that you've dealt with like the girl boss company and have had a good experience with the company itself, but I'm talking about the word and how it's sort of decoupled from the original meaning. Well, I think like you said, like the original meeting was actually like a bunch of women who found a community where they were getting tips for like how to negotiate a raise and how to talk about your work contract and stuff. And now I feel like it's completely morphed into the 
I'm completely blanking on who played her in Shrill. But you remember when A.D. Bryant goes to the Women's Empowerment Conference and there's mm-hmm. a woman at the front and she's like, you can own your own destiny. And she's all in pink. And these women have had horrible things happen to them. And she's just like, you can change it with a new haircut. And that's what I sort of feel like it has all morphed into is this like self-help Ponzi scheme society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen it sort of being used as like a catch-all to um, sort of excuse some behaviors that would be considered bad if like a male boss was doing it. Because I think there is something to be said for a community where women can get together and talk about the fact that, you know, women who work in competitive environments are not exactly like men. They're treated differently just because they're women. So how do they work around that different treatment? How do they confront challenges that arise because of the way they're treated because they're women? Um, but I think that sometimes it's used as a way to like excuse like shitty behavior from a boss. Like, um, Kieran, I wonder if you've ever encountered somebody who has sort of used like the language of feminism and empowerment to obscure just being a shitty person and trying to like inoculate themselves from, um, criticism, like legitimate criticism. Yeah. I mean, it's. I feel like we were talking about this the other day. It's like you can, it's like anybody can be shitty. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it truly is that anybody can be shitty. Like it's, and so sometimes it hits harder when it's, when you think, you think, oh, like this person will have my back or this person will be good to me or whatever. And then, uh, and then it's same shit, different day. You know, there is, I don't know if, Gailey, I don't know if you ever heard, I think Jake Weissman had this joke that that I think encapsulates it so perfectly. He goes, um, <laughs> this might be controversial on this podcast, but he was like, <laughs> Hillary Clinton, um, he was like, I want Hillary Clinton to become president so that little girls know that they can be super shitty too. Like, it's <laughs> basically some version of that. It's like, you know, when you get into a position of power, um, but it's in the same structure of power that existed previously. Are you going to be any better than your predecessors? Did you get there specifically because you did exactly the same things? Um, mm-hmm. Or you navigated through the system in such a way that like what's changed is the is the gender or the skin color of the person um, who's mm-hmm. sitting at the top, but not necessarily the attitudes of that person. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, Alyssa, I know that you are a self-identified socialist sympathizer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear your take on, like, I I find that there's, like, a lot of girl boss criticism or or kind of, like, uh, use of the term ironically in, like, leftist circles. Why do you think that is? Oh, my God. I have no idea. I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. People who don't like Kamala Harris from the left— refer to her as a girl boss in this like kind of diminutive way. Oh shit, way. that's so mean. I know. Um, okay, so why is that why is that mean? Because here's the thing, like I said years ago, you might be like, "Oh, a girl boss is someone who's like figured out her way." Now, it's like, you know, every magazine latched on to the idea of girl boss, and all these profiles that came out were like 
A girl boss gets up at four. She works out, Mm -hmm. has avocado toast, all before she walks her perfect non-rescue dog and, you know, does X, Y, and Z. And so that's sort of like when you think about it now, what you think about. So to say that Kamala Harris is a girl boss, I think you're saying she's sort of trite and basic, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which feels, feels mean. And I think also obsessed with, I'm, this is me projecting onto what I think they're saying. I'm, am I saying this? I don't know. I'll let you sparse it. Um, that, that she is, I think capitalism is part of like driven by power and money mm-hmm. is, is like a ladder adoptive of what people are being critical of girl boss. Like when I think of, I've had female bosses that are incredible that I've loved. And as I was like thinking about this topic, I'm like, oh, they were, they were in the definition of what it originally was girl bosses, but they presented at times as frazzled, like, (laughs) oh, you know, stuff on their shirt or like, ah, my pants are on backwards or whatever is like, and, and that was endearing and it almost made them more real to me and more approachable and less intimidating. And maybe that's bad that I'm like, oh, a woman has to have a flaw for me to feel like I can relate to them. But I think we all do. And so being honest about it is what is relatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that's a really interesting point. Um, Like, do you think that um, but gr- I don't know. I feel like girl boss in, in the way that it's used as like a cartoonified insult. I think girl boss isn't necessarily someone who's frazzled like physically. I picture a girl boss to be like very put together physically. Like, yeah, she, like she's- the opposite of me. <laughs> oh, Alyssa, you're a lady boss. You're Guys, like- I'm a lady boss, but I am currently covered in bug bites. I only wear Birkenstocks. It's like <laughs> there's no, uh, there's nothing I'd say aspirational. Uh, it's normal. I'd say I'm normal. I'm not aspirational in the, you know, glossy pages of a magazine for what people think you should aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's a really interesting point um, because you brought up magazines and aspirational Girl bosses could be used to sell shit. Like your style of of lady boss or like lady uh lady consultant or whatever. Like <laughs> that's it's not like something that you can sell to people. And I feel like there was a brand of corporate feminism. And and by that I mean like you can, like it's not going to be a full page like Chanel ad that's like check out these bug bitten feet in these <laughs> in these strappy and practical leather sandals. Um but it just seems like something that got latched onto and sort of col- not colonized, but like cannibalized um, because it's easy to sell. And it sort of reminds me of what happened to like pop feminism in general. Like it's it's almost like marketers got a hold of it and they were like, okay, well, we don't like the stuff where you guys talk about abortion and like reproductive yes. rights. And we don't like the stuff where you talk about like bodily autonomy, but we do like the stuff where you feel good about being powerful enough to spend your own money on what we're selling. Um, I just, I don't know. I think that it's a lot of it is just like a marketing ploy. Um, Kieran, I would love to hear what you have to say about like, what do you think is the next thing that marketers will like latch on to? Like, what is the next like (laughs) nice, like, like theoretically benign label that women have like embraced or that women are trying to like collect around that will be co-opted and ruined? I I was just thinking as you said this that like the that the label girl boss the way that we're describing it is it's almost like it could be an Instagram filter 
Just like its mm. own Instagram filter of like, because you said the two things of avocado toast or this idea of presenting <laughs> this pristine life, this like perfect grid that looks a certain type of way. This is the, I mean, and this is where it gets super tricky, whether it's like women, I think a lot about like, it, it just, the the trouble is, I mean, in, in America, everything is for sale. Like that's kind of our vibe as a country. We're kind of like, it's all for sale. So you know, yoga to me is a perfect example or like Buddhism is a, is a perfect example. It's like the idea of like the wellness or the meditation retreat or that like you need a yoga mat for $14 to do yoga, you know, like they did 2000 years ago in India, the yoga mat (laughs) that they bought from Target, you know, like that, that traditional thing that you need, those straps in that block and that like subscription to you know, whatever the lady on Peloton is doing, you know, (laughs) this is like, but it's, but it's, especially it's things that, that should be kind of beyond money or, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're talking about abortion rights or when you're talking about equal rights of any kind, these are, these are kind of, you know, timeless concepts that are, that are connected to worth of people, not like worth of the American dollar. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But we, I think oftentimes conflate the idea of like, you know, Kim Kardashian made a billion dollars. She's valuable. She's worthy. Like these are the same thing. And this is where I'm going to tell you about the offer that I have available. Um, please go to my website <laughs> where you can buy my package for $44.99. Yeah. Where I'll tell it's you more a- about this. Yeah. We're raising awareness. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're raising awareness. Mm-hmm. It's empowering. It's empowering. Um, I kind of want to like close on, um, because we have to, we have to get to sanity corner. I kind of wanted to close the conversation by talking a little bit about what I think might be another like iteration of like the girl boss that I've sort of noticed that I'm like, Oh no, not this, which Uh is like (laughs) choreographed, uh, imperfection, like staged imperfection. I've seen that a lot. Alyssa, you're, you look like you have something oh, to say. Oh, I can't. It's like, you know who it is? You know who that is in a nutshell? Who? Hilaria Baldwin. <gasps> She's oh. like, look at me. My body is skinny, but my house is a mess. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's it's just stop. Just stop, okay? Do you want yeah. me to show you my bug bitten legs? Do you want me to show you my socks with my Birkenstocks right now? Okay, because that's some legit imperfection. But no, it's the like... It's the like being relatable. And that's the other part also, Erin, to what you were saying. It's like when you see it there, it's like being relatable to try to sell something again. You Mm -hmm. know, like it's usually in some sort of sponsored ad, you know, that may not itself be the sponsored ad, but you're being drawn in to eventually get some sort of sponsored content that's like, and this new vacuum helped me keep my house in order. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's like trying to be relatable by having a couple flaws that aren't too, too bad. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's like the, it's the, it's the like, um, picture of yourself with like barely Mm -hmm. visible stretch marks and being like real, see, I'm brave. Yeah. And it's like, no, you're, you're a model. Like, I mean that congratulations on being proud of yourself, but like, that's not really helping regular people very much. But yeah, I think the next thing is like um, sort of remember with Jennifer Lawrence in 2015, how everyone was like, she's so cute. She falls down all the time. And like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> eventually, yeah. eventually people kind of, 
I think, not through no fault of her own, I think maybe started to see that maybe that was sort of an act, like relatability, or like they they got tired of of cultivated relatability from beautiful, like wealthy celebrities. And I sort of see cultivated relatability being the next thing. And I'm just going to say, I mean, I know that it's kind of like meta and ironic for us to be on a podcast that people listen to because it feels like hanging out in a group of friends. And like, I, I realize the irony in that. Um, but none of this is cultivated, guys. Like, this is all just regular us talking mm-hmm. to each other. Um, I couldn't cultivate this look. <laughs> I really want people to see. But what. you see, like, it's it's something, too, that since it's not just brands and it's not just famous people, like, Instagram is your own brand. And right. so you see everyday gals doing it and and you know them in real life. And you're like, that's not how you actually feel about your body, though. Mm-hmm. And mm. so it's like, oh, no, we're all we're all lying. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you yes, I see people purposely do this on their social media and it is really tough. The, yes. the picture where you're tear stained, like there's a, a tear stained picture of like, I just had I, you know, I just, I was just sobbing or something, which just blows my mind because it, it, what it means to me, especially if it's like well lit and super well poised (laughs) and you look, you look quite pretty despite the fact that you were sobbing. It means that you were sobbing and then you stopped in the middle of sobbing to take a photograph of yourself sobbing. You know, mm-hmm. like that blows my mind. That blow, and then you thought, let me put this on the internet to show people that I was sobbing. You know, like there's such a mm-hmm. th- that is like the that is the Russian doll like layer cake of meta. We're all marketing to each other shit that I'm mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. wow, it really all is a construct. Got it in. Got it in, Aaron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did it. Oh so my much. god. You guys, before we wrap, I just have to say that the backside of my 40s is that I forget things, but it was Vanessa Bayer who played the girl boss in Shrill. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. It was really, really fucking driving me nuts. And she was so... Yeah. Hilarious. She's Mm. she's great. Um, Speaking of girl bosses in pop culture, let's do a real quick once around about, like, who are our favorite, like, pop culture depictions of girl bosses. And I will start. Um, Last night I watched I Care A Lot because I saw a bunch of stuff about how, like, it's kind of a dark satire on girl boss culture. Wow. Mm -hmm. It is very, very dark and super well done. Um, Peter Dinklage is in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It's it's really—Peter Dinklage doesn't play the girl boss. That would be phenomenal acting even for him. Um, But, yeah, it's it's a really—it's a really good, like, dark acid. It's like the Heathers of girl bosses, mm. sort of. Um, Alyssa, do you have a favorite girl boss? Look, if if girl boss were what it was meant to be, Mare would be my favorite girl boss. <laughs> but I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to go back in time and say that uh, Donna Martin, when she opened Now Wear This, is probably wow. my favorite depiction of a girl boss. Okay. Megan, who's your favorite girl boss? I think um, Anne Hathaway's character in The Devil Wears Prada has, like, a full girl boss trajectory of, like, she's not a girl boss, she becomes a girl boss, and then she says, oh, I don't want to be the ultimate girl boss, and then she shuns girl boss life and then is, like, still kind of a girl boss after it. <laughs> <laughs> she grew, but not much, is what right. you're saying. Because <laughs> when she goes to that interview at the very end, it's like, Okay, you kept the clothes. You kept, you kept the, the leather clothes. jacket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, Kieran, who's your favorite girl boss? I think I like more of like the um, the amoral women who like. So it would be less Anne Hathaway in Devil Wears Prada and more like Meryl Streep in Devil uh-huh. Wears Prada, uh-huh. or like or like Emma Thompson in anything like Cruella or Late Night, just yeah. playing like yeah. an entitled, you know, devil may care kind of amoral, you know. Bitch queen. I, I'm a fan mm-hmm. of this. Please continue to move at a glacial pace. You know how it pleases me so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, I love a bitch queen. Um, okay. Uh, it's speaking of uh, Anna Wintour, which is who mm-hmm. Meryl Streep's character is based mm-hmm. on. Ultimate girl Ultimate boss. Ultimate girl boss. Yikes. Com- complete bitch queen. I don't— <laughs> Like, it feels like you would use the phrase pretty— and mean, like pretty and mean. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And but mean it kind of like a little bit scared, but also like kind of a compliment. Yeah, pretty <laughs> and mean. Um, and also Vogue is a, a culturally destructive force. It's terrible. But if I were a person that played practical jokes or organized flash mobs, my dream flash mob is to have like dozens of people individually dress up like Anna Wintour in like the wig and the glasses and a coat and show up to a big public space over the course of 10 minutes and just surround the whole space. There's just a bunch of Anna Wintour's running around. I was thinking like the fountain at Lincoln Center. Like, like just- uh, <laughs> You gotta see Cruella. I was just did thinking- you write, Did you write Cruella? I was just thinking, no. the, sa- I was just thinking the same <laughs> yeah. thing. I was like, I was like, wow, great minds, really. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, Anna Wintour flash mob. If somebody wants to do that, I just send me some pictures, guys. Someone do it at their wedding. Remember that trend? Have an Anna Wintour flash mob at your New Jersey wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Okay, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we are going to talk Sanity Corner. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Okay, welcome back. We have reached the part of the show where we talk about how we distract ourselves from how annoying this week has been. Uh, It's Sanity Corner. But before we get to that, a little bit of housekeeping. This is fun housekeeping. This is like in-house generated housekeeping. (laughs) Uh, We've decided to open up Fuck That Guy to listener submissions, which means we want to hear from you. So we know that you believe that many politicians and public figures should get fucked. And so if you believe a particular politician or public figure should get fucked, record a 30-second voice memo 
and send it to hysteria at crooked.com. And subject line, fuck that guy helps so that we can kind of find it in our inbox. But we got some really colorful ones over the last week, Alyssa. Not only did we get colorful ones, I love people who DM'd me and said, if I were going to submit something, I'd submit this. And I'm like, well, why won't you just go ahead and submit it? And they were like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> yes, the power is yours. And you can you can record a voice memo and send it to us. Uh, Caroline definitely, definitely listens to all of them. I listen to the ones that are at the top of the inbox when I log in. Um, but we've gotten some great international ones. Like, don't you don't need to keep it to America. You know, I know there's some interesting stuff going on in South America right now. There's yeah. some, some South American politicians who probably deserve some hearty fuck that guys. If you um, are living down there, if you're from down there, you want to you want to send one of them in. Totally do it. Basically, sky's the limit. Sky's the limit, and also guy's the limit because guy <laughs> guy can be anybody, can be a man or a woman, any any gender at all can be a fuck that guy. So keep them coming. We love to hear from you. Just send them to hysteria at crooked.com. Okay, house has been kept. I am, uh, I'm going to go first. My sanity corner this week. Do you guys know who Robert Reich is? Mm. Love it. Love, we love Robert Reich just as a public figure. He served on multiple Democratic administrations. He was, you know, he served uh, under President Carter. He's only like 74 years old now. Mm -hmm. And he was like working in administrations when he was like, in his early 30s, which is cr- He's like the good version of Dick Cheney. Yeah. He like is <laughs> um, really outspoken against corporate influence in American politics, and he popularized the term corporate welfare. So he's anti, like, tax breaks to corporations at the expense of the rest of us. Um, he talks a lot about poverty and wealth inequality. He endorsed Bernie Sanders for president in 2016. He is pro-union, pro-universal basic income, pro-raising taxes on the mega wealthy and corporations. And, guys— he has a TikTok, and it's amazing. Robert Reich's former Secretary of Labor, Robert Reich's TikTok, is a fucking delight. He puts out these little—they're they're almost like Tim and Eric level, like, because they're sort of like one tick away from, okay, from like, not bizarre. They're like a little bizarre. Um, but they're like economic lessons about like wealth inequality and the way that the, the American tax structure favors corporations. Like he did a thing the other day about like corporate welfare in space where he was talking about Jeff Bezos getting like a $10 billion like NASA contract as like consolation after Elon Musk be- beat him out and bidding. Um, it is a delight and it's a great way to get um, like a sort of – leftist, progressive economic education from a guy who really knows what he's talking about. Um, he was playing piano in a recent, it's just, it is a, <laughs> it is a top, he dances, he dances not well. It's like a Robert De Niro in the Irishman, like old man, old man dancing. <laughs> is it ironic, the dancing? Um, I think he's just experiencing joy in in sharing information about economics and like in and like tax reform. It is so nerdy, and I love it so much. Robert Reich's TikTok. If you are on TikTok, definitely check it out. And if you're not on TikTok, I'll probably post a bunch of them to my Instagram because they're so. I just I'm just pure warmth. Alyssa, I sent one to you, and you were like, "I love it's it. It's just great. It's a delight." He's just living. He's just living his best life. He's just having a great time educating all of us on how we need to burn everything down. Um, Okay. (laughs) Alyssa, do you want to go next? What's your sanity corner? Oh, yeah. My sanity corner. I don't think I've talked about this in a long time, but um, 
the weed store not far from me uh, in Massachusetts has started selling these really good uh, pre-roll minis, which really just like scratches the itch. This has not been something that's really been available around here. And I've been trying not to vape because it bothers my mouth. And then I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And I found these pre-rolls and you guys, it's like, it takes me back. You just go outside, you sit down, you're like, it's all going to be okay. Because honestly, the past couple of weeks with like re-entry have been stressful. It's like all of a sudden things are coming at you left and right. And it's like, I just don't want to do them. And guess what? (laughs) After a little bit of mini roll, you're just like, I don't have to if I don't want to. And then I go and I decline things. That's great. That's great. Yeah. There you go. That's my sanity corner. It's like not liquid courage. It's like green. It's herb courage. courage. It's herb courage. (laughs) And they're really cute. They're, They're so, so cute. Like, Drugs are cute now. Drugs yeah. are cute now. And re- re-entry is a term post-pandemic. I Oof, haven't heard that, yeah. but re-entry, I like that. It's all the fucking space talk. I keep thinking, I keep telling my husband, I'm like, I'm going to catch fire when I go through the heat shield. Like, it's just going to be terrible. <laughs> you have to come in at the right angle. Otherwise, you do. Otherwise, you can bounce into the atmosphere. I mean, it's, look, we've all been there. I just don't understand why there aren't space accidents all the time, speaking of that. Because every time I'm like, learn, I learn anything about space, I'm like, wait a minute. Why doesn't everything we try to do up there explode? It seems. Well, I think, you know, given who's headed up there, maybe we can start hoping for some accidents <laughs> <laughs> it was very well put. I mean, I'm not going to like pray against it. I'll just say that. Yeah. It's it's the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather. Let let nature have its course. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran, what's your sanity corner this week? Okay, I got two. I'm going to give you two just based on what you said. One was um if you it, the Robert Reich thing sounds great. If you want something um more insane, um, you should check out Anthony Hopkins' Instagram. Oh, I love it. So I love good. It. It's so wild. Like I've always thought <laughs> that he was, I, he's like one of my favorite actors because he's such a deeply unpredictable, like kind of, it's like he's like a featherweight, bo- he's like a featherweight boxer. It's like you never know what he's going to do next. And then you get on this man's Instagram and you're like, oh, you also just might be deeply unstable. <laughs> like that just might be like you as a guy. You might just like this is who you. This is might be who you are. And and that's there is a picture of him and I pulled it up. It's of him uh, with an egg over one eye and a headshot. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it just says sunny side up, happy Saturday. <laughs> what does that mean? It's just like it's wild. And then there'll be one where he's kind of like flamenco dancing, and it's. And and you don't you literally you're like who who is taping this? Why are they taping this? And who who let you put this up there? And thank you so much for putting this up there. And then occasionally he's going to try to sell you some candles and his paintings, but most of the time it's just like it's just like I I truly cannot predict what's going to happen next on his Instagram, which is exactly what I love about his acting, but for totally different reasons. Oh my God. It's like David Lynch is directing his Instagram. Yes. Yes. It is. Like everything's like dreamlike, you know, not quite real, you know? Non sequiturs out the wazoo for no reason. And then just to shout out a woman who I, who, whose book I really love, I, I think I've, I, I don't think I've talked about it on the pod. This uh, book called My Year of Rest and Relaxation uh-huh. um, by Atessa, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to say her last name correctly. Um, She's fantastic. She's the the book is a very it's a girl boss style book that was basically 
pandemic related. It's a, a woman who's, you know, kind of mean, aloof, cunty, and she like, um, she is wealthy and then she gets a very bad therapist and she spends a year trying to sleep with the pills that the therapist got her with the idea that like your brain gets reset. Like, you know, like after a good night's sleep, I'm rested and relaxed. And she was like, well, what if I could do that for a year? And then I'll basically just be like a child again. That's (laughs) the premise of the book. And it's wild and funny. And I think after, you know, after the the year and the pandemic, it's like, it's pretty relatable. Oh my God. <laughs> I Like wacky ass books are really great for me right now. Wacky. Melissa Broder, yeah. M- Melissa Broder's new book, Milk Fed, is like a wacky ass book that is so, like I really, oh, yeah, like it, it hit, it hit the spot for me. It's a wacky ass book. Patricia Lockwood, wacky ass, but so, so good. Um, Megan, what's your sanity corner this week? Okay, mine is, well, one is just a shout out to Simone Biles, who just won Mm. her, like, historic seventh USA gymnastics title. And it's just even, just watching these young black gymnasts, like, the team was, it felt predominantly black. They, the USA gymnastics has obviously had a horrific past, and it feels like they're coming out of it. And I'm just, it made me so excited for the Olympics, and I love her. Um, and then I'm reading a book by Brian Moylan, who is a really, really funny writer. He used to do all of the vulture recaps of all Bravo related stuff. And so his book is called Housewives, The Real Story Behind the Real Housewives. And Bravo did not want him to make this book. And so it does feel like you're kind of getting like juicy secrets. And he makes a strong case um, towards the end of the book that The Real Housewives is actually very feminist and and is a great way to see older, full character women on TV in ways that we are not allowed to see them in scripted shows. Oh, fun. Back to the Simone of it all. Um, <laughs> holy shit. Did you watch her uh, yeah. floor tumbling pass slow? Yeah. The double Yachenko? Yeah. I saw this oh. stuff on this, this. What's the spring one? Uh, vault. The vault. That was the double Yuchenko, the vault. Well, and then you. there was Thank a video so that came out. Yes, I saw a video on Twitter yesterday where she's just um, tying a ribbon in a teammate's hair. Like, I, mm. there's something about, they have, I mean, been hell and back, truly. What USA gymnasts have had to endure is so horrific, and it almost shouldn't even exist as a corporation anymore. But Simone is like the face of it now, and that feels really promising. And and I feel like she's gonna take care of these girls, even though that's not her duty. You just you see a sisterhood among them that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. In addition to her being like a gymnast badass. Oh my god! Like her ability to create height in her routines is incredible. So like, here's something about, I did gymnastics when I was young until I got bored with it. But um, like, here's something about the vault. So like, if you put your hands like over your head, right? Like just straight up over your head. And then like you lower your shoulder blades and then you push your shoulder blades up. That is the only way that gymnasts are able to generate height coming off a vault because that thing doesn't have any spring to it. It's like barely any 
move. You get like I two- hurt my shoulder just trying to do it without pressure. Right. On it. You get like two inches of muscle movement, and Simone Biles is able to turn that into big, big fucking towering vaults. Like anybody who can do that is just. Tell us more uh, about your gymnastics career. Wow, you really just <laughs> glazed over that, Ryan. Uh, we can talk more about that <laughs> offline. Um, I want to know about the w- Wisconsin gymnastics world. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we can talk more about that offline. My school actually had a very good gymnastics program randomly. Um, mm. So, uh, well, I think that's all the time we have today. Guys, this was so fun. It always feels like not enough time. Megan and Kieran, thank you so much for coming by. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Per usual. Thank you to Representative Nicole Collier from Texas, and thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet, this nation, Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. <laughs>